NZR Sports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Hey gang, so I got a new book out. It's called The Upside of Fear, and it's exactly what you think it's about. It's about the good side of, well getting scared. In it, we talk not only about the science and biology behind fear, but the psychology as well. And it's not just coming from me, it's coming from some of the best in the sport. Omar Alhijalan, Jeff Provenzano, Maxine Tate, and so many more have contributed their sometimes terrifying stories to the book to help you overcome your fear. So head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com. You're going to find the link to the book there as well as the other books. It's available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook right now. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast with a smiling face on the other end and straight into it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? <laughs> I love that intro. Uh, <laughs> my name is Amberly Brown and I am a professional skydiver, a professional tunnel flyer. Uh, what else do I do? I do all kinds of stuff now that's not just skydiving related, but... 
I don't know if you want to get into that part. Oh, we'll definitely get into it. But it's so funny, too, isn't it? I'm sure you feel the same way. Getting to the point where you can say I'm a professional tunnel flyer and skydiver still seems strange to me. Mm. Doesn't it? Why? Why? Because I I don't know. There's still one foot of me still in the so-called normal world that's like, how do you make a living jumping out of planes? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's not my sole income anymore. I mean, it definitely was for many years. And um, I'd say during COVID, it really helped me to, well, it just kind of pushed me in a different direction. Sure. Um, I was listening to Luke Akins and his story and how he got into skydiving and started to realize early on that it wasn't going to be something that was going to be financially uh, yeah, something it's... that was going to be able to afford him all the things that he wanted to do. Mm. And I don't feel like I ever really figured that out until recently where I was sure. like, Oh, wow. Okay. You know, maybe I should do other things to bring in income rather than just focusing on skydiving and tunnel. <clears throat> and so those changes came around like right when COVID happened, really. Sure. Um, well, to I think start co- pursuing other things. COVID kind of gave everybody permission to look in other directions <clears> of the <throat> sport. Cause I don't know about you, but before then, I, I don't know if traders the right word, but I felt like I was kind of turning my back on, on everything that I had cultivated by doing something outside of skydiving. And then all of a sudden you had to, and then you woke up the next day going, Oh, the world didn't end. And I didn't get disowned by my community because it's not all I do. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I mean, and it wasn't really all I did. And it wasn't anything I dreamt of doing, really, um, until 08. So, but my story goes back way, I mean, when I look back, I'm like, when you've asked people like, well, how did you get your start in skydiving? You know, I feel like, really, my story begins with, from even before I was born, really. And, um, I don't know if you want to go into that right now. So Absolutely, please. So, no, no, that's exactly where I want to go. Um, so my dad was a singer in a band and back in the 70s. And he um, was married and he went up to Alaska and on tour and met my mom. And they fell in love and she got pregnant. And a month later, my dad went back to California and he got his wife pregnant. And so I have a half brother that's a month younger than me. And it's people when they ask, like, how do you have a brother that's a month younger than me? Um, And it's come up. It's come up a few times where my brother was like, hey, dad, you want to take the lead on this? (laughs) (laughs) You want to share the story of how we're a month apart? Um, (laughs) So that just started off really. I mean, already my dad's married. He's not with my mom. She follows him to California, where I end up being born in San Jose, California. And we lived in California for four years while my mom tried to figure things out and tried to have a relationship with my dad, which was never really working out. Mm. Um, And so I was just like writing down things, highlights of my life from the early stages. And I would say from the early stages of my life, I didn't have a lot of um, supervision, which resulted in three near fatal things that happened to me before I was five years old. 
first one was I almost drowned in a pool mm. um, and had to have CPR. When I was four years old, my mom uh, went into, she was supposed to leave me with my dad and she went into a party, his party, got really wasted, decided that she didn't want me to stay with my dad and took me home. And on the way home, which we only lived three hours, I mean, sorry, three, 30 minutes away mm. or three miles away, sorry, okay. three miles at the time. She passed out on the wheel and we got into a car wreck. I wasn't in a seatbelt. And I went into intensive care at that time, oh, which wow. meant that they put me in a bubble. They put tubes up my nose. I had broken ribs. I was really messed up. And my mom was really afraid that um, my dad would take me away from her. And so while I was getting better, she was arranging a flea from California to go back to Alaska. Mm. And so when I got out of the hospital, we went back to Alaska. My dad didn't know that we had done that. And, um, and from the next couple of years with my mom, it was really just a wild roller coaster because she was in and out of rehab. Um, you know, she would leave me with her friends at different places for long periods of time. And I finally came to a point when I was like seven, where I was like, I've had enough. I want to go back to my grandparents' house and live with them. And when I was eight, um, she ended up leaving Alaska. And I was already living with my grandparents at the time. And I kept asking, like, when are when, you know, when is she gonna come back? And they finally revealed to me that she had had a bad accident and she went into a coma. Oh, wow. And she wouldn't be coming back anytime soon that we knew of. <clears throat> well, little did I know that that was going to be 10 years and 10 years led to her passing away once we took her off of life support. Oh, wow. So I, I never saw my mom again after I was eight. Um, and, you know, I only have one other friend who went through something like that. Similarly, at the same time where his dad, same thing, some, something happened with his dad. And I remember always just kind of leaning on him as I was growing up and, you know, he was the only one who could understand what I was going through. Um, so I would say from the time I was eight till I was 11, things at home with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles were pretty difficult, sure. unsu unsupervised. Um, you know, by the time I came into the picture with my grandparents, they had already raised eight children. Oh, wow. So by the time I came into the picture, they were just like ready to let loose and be young. And it's understandable. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so I also had a terrible uncle that lived in our house and he was not that great to me and to our family. He was pretty, um, he was just mixed up, a mixed up person. Um, and um, where, where else does this my, my story take me? Um in seventh grade, my grandparents were like, hey, we're moving away from Juneau and we're going to move to Sitka. And I really didn't like that idea of moving from Juneau. I'd had this dream of being on the Juneau drill team. And if you ever Google them back in the day, Juneau drill team was like 25 to 50 women on the, uh, you know, doing a halftime routine with ripples and high kicks and like dance, like just being the entertainment of the basketball games. Mm. And my grandpa, my grandpa was a um, broadcaster for basketball games. So oh, wow. I was always out listening to him, 
broadcasting the basketball games, watching them. Um, so it really inspired me to pursue dancing young um, on a team. And when we did move, when we finally did move to Sitka, um, I kind of went in a roundabout way. I stayed with my dad for a year and then came back to Alaska um, and started high school in Sitka at um, my freshman year. And by my senior year, I was the captain of our drill team. And, you know, it was just a smaller school. It was different than Juno. Um, but that really taught me discipline, working with a team. Sure. And making sure that you get good grades, right? Because you have to get good grades to be able to perform in high school, sure. right? And I also had people in my life who had been valedictorian, salutatorian. So even with all the crazy history of my family, I still had people in my life that were showing me academically that I should strive for better. Mm. And that really set me up my senior year to apply for a bunch of scholarships for school. And thankfully with leveling up my academics, it enabled me to be able to receive enough funding for six years of college. Wow. Nice. And it it really came down to my grandpa at that time because he really pushed me every day, my senior year in high school to go into the student council room and look for a new scholarship to try, you know, to apply for. So that really set me up for college. Mm. Um, I went to college in Western Washington University for a couple of years, followed a high school boyfriend of mine, Mm. Um, didn't, didn't really work out, you know, right as soon as I got there, I was like a wild stallion, just like ready to like let loose on every avenue. Right. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, so, but my schooling in Western, um, opened up doors to be able to go on exchange to Mexico for three months. It also helped me to go on exchange to Hawaii. Mm. And the crazy thing about how Hawaii came up was I had just come back from three months in Mexico. It was beautiful. It was hot. And then I come back to Western Washington and Bellingham and it's snowing. I'm treading through snow up to my knees to get to class. And I was just like, what am I doing here? I grew up in Alaska. Like I I thought going to college was going to be different. Sure. You know, (laughs) a different experience than what I had experienced growing up. And so I started looking into this program called the WUI program, and it I I looked through this big booklet at the time and had all the schools that you could go to, and the WUI program allows you to go on exchange to any school in the United States within their program, and if you don't like the school that you go to, you just come back and you continue wow. on with your schooling, which is really cool. Yeah. So I looked through that booklet. I saw a couple places that I really liked, but mostly I saw Hawaii. And I had two friends from high school that were in Hawaii at the time. And so that night I called up my girlfriend and I was like, hey, what school would I go to if I was to go to the school that's in your hometown? And she was like, oh, it's the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And so I went back to the office the next day and I was like, hey, is it too late for me to transfer next year for the WUI program to go to University of Hawaii at Manoa? 
And the guy was like, Hey, let, he got on the phone and he started like asking me questions. Like, what's your, what's your social security number? What's your address? Blah, blah, blah. And he got off the phone and he was like, okay, you're going to Hawaii next year. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I remember walking out of that room, just like scratching my head, like what just happened? <laughs> um, and so I went that when this, when the semester ended, I went back to Alaska that summer. And the really cool thing about that summer, going back to Alaska, um, was the Ho'olaulea had just, and the Ho'olaulea is a boat in Hawaii that they navigate from the stars to their destination. And I believe they row. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I want to say they row most of it or all of it or sail it both. Sure. So all in natural circumstances sure. and using the stars. So anyway, the whole Laulea landed in Sitka that summer. And our hometown had a huge parade for all these Hawaiians. And I was like, how ironic, you know, I'm yeah, going yeah. to Hawaii next year. And now they're, they're having this Hawaiian parade in Sitka, Alaska, and they're celebrating these Hawaiians. I just thought, wow, this is really happening. I'm sure. going to Hawaii. And so I really did. I, I moved to Hawaii a long time ago. <laughs> we can date myself if you like in 96. Okay. Um, and I started going to school and my, the girl that I had moved in with, um, she was like, Hey, in the first three months that I was there, she was like, Hey, I'm going to, um, start bodyboarding. And just to take us back, back to those three things that I went through, I don't think I mentioned the third thing that I went through that was tragic before I was five, but when, we, when I had moved to Juneau, my cousin and I were hanging out. And we, it had just rained heavily in Juneau and we went down to this Creek, but the Creek had like bars going up the sides of it. You weren't supposed to go down this man-made like wall to mm. get to the Creek, mm. but we did anyway, because we were kids, sure. nobody was watching us. Sure. And the, the Creek was moving so quickly from the rainwater that my cousin was like, Hey, Amberly, don't put two of your feet in the water. It'll, it'll take you away. And I was like, man, I don't like people telling me what to do. So I'm going to put both my feet in. And of course it took my feet out from underneath me and the Creek just carried me down. The Creek opened up into the ocean oh. in Juneau. And I remember just screaming, you know, um, like, my life depended on it. Sure. <laughs> and three, three people ended up having to get in the water and save me. Um, but those two incidences that I went through as a young child, almost drowning in a pool, and then that creek, almost drowning in that, um, really put a fear over me about water. Sure. I never learned how to like swim properly like do laps in a pool or anything like that. Um, and, but when I got to Hawaii and I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, I just moved here. I'm so excited. And she's like, Hey, just so you know, I'm going to start bodyboarding pretty soon. And I was like, what? Like, you're not going to leave me behind. 
Like I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the beach goer girl that sits on the beach, you know? And so I started bodyboarding with her and it was really terrifying when I first started because I didn't know how to swim very well. I didn't know anything about the ocean. Mm. And I had the fear of drowning from those incidents that I had when I was really little. Sure. So I felt like I had a lot to overcome when I first started my surfing journey in Hawaii. And because of that, I decided to take a swimming class in college to learn how to swim properly. Mm. The, you know, freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly. And so I started taking a swimming class and I met somebody in that class. And at the time I was like taking Kung Fu because I wanted to be like, um, you know, I wanted to feel like nobody could mess with me. Sure. (laughs) And I remember meeting this guy in my swimming class and he was like, what are you, what are you doing learning Kung Fu? And I was like, I don't know. Isn't, what else is there to learn? He was like, well, you should really come and learn jujitsu. And I was Mm. like, what's (laughs) jujitsu? And, you know, by the grace of God, I was put in a school with jujitsu with someone who was really the lineage of Gracie jujitsu. And what a blessing. Um, His name is Helson Gracie. He became my grandmaster in jujitsu early on when I moved to Hawaii. So right when I moved to Hawaii, I started conquering my fear of the ocean and the water by learning to swim, by going out and surfing and learning the ocean. And then on the other side, I got involved in jujitsu with Helsing Gracie for my martial arts. And I really stuck with all of that. Uh, I stuck with jujitsu for a few years. Um, really cultivated a great relationship with Helson. He really became, and in Hawaii, when you don't have family out there, people end up adopting you in a way that's, you don't go through paperwork or anything like that, but you end up calling these people your Hanai family. Mm. And Helson really became my Hanai family, my uncle. Mm. And um With my surfing, I learned early on, I was around a bunch of professional surfers all the time, um, just being in the environment and meeting people. And, um, and, but I realized early on, I was not going to be able to be a professional surfer, even though I really, really wanted that. Um, And it was just because of my fear of the ocean. And I had a limit of how big the waves would could be for me to be comfortable to be out in the water without sure. having like a panic attack. Sure. So I continued surfing, living my life in Hawaii. Um, in school, I had planned on, you know, my grandparents were always like, become a doctor, become a, you know, physical therapist. Um, and I really pursued that for a while to the point I realized I don't want to do that. I want to perform and act and sing and dance. So in my last couple of years of school at UH, I really pursued all of those things, Mm. acting, singing, dancing, ballet classes, modern classes, whatever it was that would help me to gain this performance, um, background. Sure. 
so when I got done with college in 2000, I graduated in 2000. Oh my God, this feels like forever ago. I know it was so crazy. Um, I got right into doing a lot of extra work on the sets that were happening in Hawaii for about, I did that for probably about, I don't know, four to eight years where I was just working on sets of like the North shore, which is really cool because Jason Momoa was a fresh actor on the set of the North shore. That was the, the name of the show. I also worked on lost. I worked on Hawaii five I worked on blue crush. So I was doing a lot of things like that in the film and movie industry, just trying to get my foot in the door. But somewhere along the way, I decided, ah, I don't know if this is for me. Sure. And in 2005, I was going through a lot of stuff with alcohol. Okay. And had come to a point, I was dating somebody at the time who was a professional surfer and a coach, and he was also sober for like 13 years at the time. And so I remember distinctly one day, like waking up from a hangover, feeling terrible, and having the opportunity to either tell him the truth of what I had gone through the night before and how I was feeling that day. Or I could lie to him and not tell him any of that. And I decided, you know what? I need to fess up on how I'm feeling, where I'm at. And that began my sober journey when I decided to tell him the truth. Nice. So on October 12th of 05, I stopped drinking alcohol. I haven't looked back since. Um, It's really been a blessing to not fall into the trap of what my family was predestined for, I guess. Sure. My my mom was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. It just ran in our family. And Mm. not only was I the first person of my family to graduate college, but I did a lot of other firsts for my family as well. I mean, I grew up in a pretty middle-class family with my grandparents. I felt really disconnected from them growing up just because there was such a huge age gap. They couldn't understand what I was going through in school. Sure. Um, they had an idea of me going to college and being set for life if I graduated, which obviously we know that's not the case. Um, and then once I get, once I became sober, I feel like things started to, like the first year of sobriety was terrible. I just felt, you know, you're, you're trying to find this whole new, who am I, you sure. know, without that without all the people that I was partying with. And so for a couple of years, I just kind of went through this, through the motions, staying sober. And in 2000, let me go back in 2000, I did my first skydive. Nice. My friend, my friend, Bill Wyland, who uh, helped to build the Wyland galleries. His brother is the, um, the artist. That's the Wyland, with Wyland. The, the seascapes. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they're beautiful uh, pictures. I was out doing a project that our limo ended up at Bill Wyland's house. And I think that was how I met him initially. And then we just started hanging out because he was a cool dude and he was uber rich and he was just fun to be around. He was sure. just like a little kid, you know? And so um, 
he asked me in 2000 if I wanted to go do a skydive. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That sounds fun. And uh, I did my first skydive. I got extremely sick under canopy. Well, I didn't throw up. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I was like, by the time I got to the ground, I was so nauseous. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't ever want to do this again. That was really cool. It was an adrenaline rush and yay. And I, I did it. And that was it. I never thought about it again after that uh, until I met, um, until I went on match.com and I met this guy. Uh, I was actually, I'm actually really embarrassed still to talk about that. <laughs> and this is back in the day when like, you know, I'm living in Maui at the time and I know people on match and I'm like, I don't want anybody to know I'm on this site. You know, this is before the swipe left or right. I don't even know what that is. I never sure. got into that. Sure. But I was really embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know that I got a match.com. And, um, but I saw this guy on there and I was like, oh, wow, he seems really interesting and I need to get to know him. And um, which we did. We went on a blind date. His name was Vince Pascu. And within a month of dating this guy, he was like, we, I woke up. He lived on Oahu. I lived on Maui at the time. Um, but he woke up and he was like, hey, and this is in 2008 now. And he's like, Hey, do you want to go for a skydive? And I was like, uh, yeah, I already did that though. You know, like I could go again, I guess. And I was like, okay, cool. And I'm like, you know, but this time was different. He grabbed a bag, he grabbed a special backpack, grabbed a helmet. And then we went and got in the car and went up to the North shore. And I was like, something's different. What's going on? And then I realized that I was signing up for a tandem and he would be going solo. And I was like, whoa, you could go solo. And you know, what's so funny is that in 2000, I had a camera guy go with me, Mm. but I don't remember that he went solo, Mm. you know, like my mind couldn't process the fact that there was actually somebody going out solo. Sure. And so anyway, so, but it finally kind of clicks when Benz is like getting out his backpack and he's asking the, the manifest, you know, could I jump with you guys? And he just didn't have enough experience at the time to go with the tandem. So they refused that he jump with us, but he got in the plane with us. He jumped before us. So I got to see him go solo. And when I got to the ground, I was sick again. Mm-hmm. So a hundred percent of the time now that I've gone on a skydive, which is only twice, but each time that I landed, I was nauseous. Sure. And if you know me, I don't like to be nauseous. I don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody likes to be nauseous, really, no. right? No. Um, and ironically, when I was little, uh, you know those tire swings? I don't know if they have them anymore. But the tire where it was like a an actual tire with chains. Sure. And, and all it does is spin. Yeah. Right. Well, every a hundred percent of the time I'd get on this tire swing in grade school and somebody would start spinning me, I would get off and I'd be so nauseous. It'd ruin the rest of my day. Sure. And after like the fifth time of doing that as a kid, I finally was like, okay, I get it. I get on the tire swing. I get spun. I get sick. <laughs> Never going on that again. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so here I am an adult. I've gone on my second skydive. And I'm nauseous. And I'm like, why would I ever do this again? Because the result is 
I'm nauseous and mm. I don't want to do that. Why would I do a sport that I'm going to be nauseous every time I land? Sure. That's terrible. So, but I still was curious and I'm hanging out with this guy who is super extreme in my world. He was sure. super extreme. He was a base jumper. He was, uh, he was already wingsuiting. He, um, you know, was skydiving. It just, it was like, whoa, okay, this guy, like, if I don't step up my game, this guy's going to be like, yo, you got to hit the road because you're not cool enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So when we left that day, I asked him, so how do you get your license? How do you start jumping by yourself? He was like, oh, well, good thing you're asking because actually you could go to Arizona and you could get your license in a week. And I was like, cool, I'm in, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So I get home to Maui because like I said, we were living in uh, different islands at the time. And I call up my girlfriend, Anita, she's a pilot. And I'm like, Anita, I just went skydiving. And guess what? I'm going to go get my license. I'm going to go to Arizona. I'm going to stay there for a, I'm going to stay there for a week and I'm going to get my license. And she's like, no. (laughs) You're going to stay in Hawaii and you're going to learn from some of the best. And I was like, who in Hawaii is going to be able to teach me how to skydive? Like, I just couldn't picture anybody knowing anything more than (laughs) I just had no idea. Right. I'm green. I'm green. So she's like, well, my brother, Ed White could teach you. And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to learn from him. And she's like, or. Melissa Nelson, who I'd already met, she was living in Maui at the time. And um, I had met her through mutual friends. We had a, you know, we were living in Maui. So it was a small group of people hanging out. Sure. We had two separate groups. Melissa hung out with one group. I hung out with another. But people from our groups interacted a lot. So we ended up kind of crossing paths. And becoming friends, but I wouldn't say we were like super close, but we were friends. And so I get off the phone with Anita and I call up Melissa and I'm like, hey, I want to learn to skydive. Would you teach me? She was like, yes, I will. And I'm like, cool, great. How do we do this? And she's like, well, first we got to do ground schooling and then we'll go over to Oahu and we'll do our jumps over there. I was like, okay, ground schooling. What does that mean? (laughs) she's like well I'll just come over to your apartment and we'll hang out and we'll we'll do ground schooling that way cool what okay so she came over to my apartment when living in Maui and I still have like somewhere in all my stuff I still have the little piece of paper where she drew the landing area in Hawaii (laughs) where I was going to be making my like entering into my you know my landing pattern And she like drew, this is the stop sign and these are the trees and this is, you know, and um, yeah, that was my ground schooling. My girlfriend came over to my apartment and taught me ground schooling, which I call it ground schooling because I didn't know what, I thought we were just hanging out, having a chick's night, you know? Sure. What's (laughs) funny is you had your ground schooling as a chick's night with a member of like, one of the few royal families in skydiving. I mean, that's Melissa Nelson. (laughs) And you have no clue, which is my favorite part about jumping. It's my favorite part. Zero. I had zero (laughs) clue about that. I mean, and granted, 
I was a surfer. So at the sure. time of 05, 08, I'd already been surfing for 12 years. Sure. And so my world and my thinking was professional surfers are the bomb. Is there any other profession out there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So in my world, just because I, I grew, you know, when I think back of like where I grew up, I grew up in Juneau and Sitka, Alaska. Both of those are islands. I moved to Western Washington University, which put me on the mainland, but for a very short, short stint of time. And then I went right back to another island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so I grew up a very small town girl. Sure. And Oahu was a huge city for me. Oh, yeah. It had so much diversity, so much culture, so much of everything. I mean, it was the melting pot. Oahu is the melting pot of all the ethnicities. Sure. And so even though it was still a little mini city it still was an island <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so when i met melissa actually this is a great story i first met melissa probably a year prior to me asking her to uh teach me to skydive my friend or significant other at the time uh knew her ex uh shaylin and i remember him saying, Hey, we're going to go over to my friend's house, Shaylin. He's like, he's a uh, sober and, you know, he's a skydiver, super badass dude. And I remember showing up to the house on Oahu and he answered the door and I was like, Oh, Shaylin, he's the big badass skydiver, whatever that means, you know, because sure, I sure. still, I was surf surfer, skydiver, don't understand it. So um, I remember seeing Melissa and I think I met her briefly that time, but she came in, you know, I saw her in the living room and then she came to the door and I remember thinking distinctly, oh, this is the girlfriend that's on the coattails of her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thought that went through my mind, you know, <laughs> so I had no idea. And then when I asked Melissa, I still had no idea of her background and it actually took three years before I started to put the dots together of her history and background. Sure. But um, initially she was just Melissa, you know, just some girl that I knew that moved from Chicago to the Hawaiian islands. Sure. Our paths were crossing. So, I mean, you start out by um, having horrible experiences with skydiving because you're getting sick every time and, but you push through anyway do the ground school and obviously learned how to skydive with Melissa Nelson without knowing she was Melissa Nelson, which is cool. Um, but when did skydiving become like <clears throat> the thing or a huge part of your life? I mean, that's a big transition there from almost puking to I'm a skydiver. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I didn't know how my first jump would be. Actually, this is also a great story. The goal with Melissa was that I was going to teach her how to surf and she was going to teach me how to skydive. And so when we w flew over to Oahu, um, what was really nice, we ended up taking Go Airlines. And at the time, they left out of West Maui. And so when we went and got on the plane, we literally loaded this plane, Melissa and I. There were 10 seats in the plane, one on either side of the plane. Sure. There was the pilot, the co-pilot, and her and I in this plane. 
<laughs> and I was like, are we getting like royal treatment? This is cool. Right. Nobody else is on this plane. So we fly over to Oahu. We stay with my friend, Bill Wyland, who is actually living across the street from the drop zone at the time, which was so perfect. Nice. Um, we go to we we go to the drop zone to do my first jump and we're sitting there and I have my sunglasses on. We're on like a 10, 15 minute call. Right. And I look over at Melissa. She's sitting next to me and tears are streaming down my face. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, 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 girlfriend, what's going on? Right. Like, talk, talk to me. I got to know what's going on in your mind. And I was like, literally two weeks ago, I went on a tandem. And now I'm going to go jump by myself. This is the stupidest thing I've ever decided to do. <laughs> what am I doing here? And she's like, hey, I taught you everything you need to know. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. And I'm like, all right, girlfriend, I'm I'm like fully trusting you in this situation. Because I, if I was by myself, I wouldn't be here anymore. Right. <laughs> I'd be gone. Right. So we go to, we get geared up. We go get on the plane. I'm just sweating bullets, you know, <laughs> and we get on the plane. The plane starts to taxi and then it stops. And I'm like, I look over at Melissa. She's sitting across from me and I'm like, what's going on? She, and the pilot turns around. He has a chat with Melissa. She looks at me and she's like, I'm sorry, we have to get off the plane. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You mean I don't have to jump today? <laughs> Yeah. So we got off the plane and I was like, hey, this is a great opportunity. The waves are really small today. Let's take you surfing. And she's like, okay, great. So we go pack up, go get her aboard. We go out to the spot. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good spot for her to learn how to surf. It's going to be mellow. It'll be good. We get on our boards, we start paddling out, and I'm looking at the waves. They're really small, they're like chest high waves. And no wind, perfect for the North Shore. We start paddling out. And I'm like looking at Melissa and I'm smiling. I'm just super stoked. Like, oh, I didn't have to jump. And now we're <laughs> surfing where I feel totally comfortable. And I'm paddling and I lose sight of Melissa for just a moment. I just keep paddling because I'm like fixated on the waves. And when I finally look back to see where she's at, she is literally going the opposite direction from where I'm going. And I stop on my board and I look over at her and I'm like, Melissa, I'm like, where are you going? And she turns back and looks at me and she's like, waves at me. And she goes, I'm going back to Maui. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, uh oh, that's not a good sign. So I paddle up to her. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And we're in like, we just switched spots. Not an hour prior, I was sitting there crying and she's like having to coax me into like going to get geared up and go get in the plane and go do something she feels so comfortable doing. And I was so out of my element to do. And now here we are in the, in the ocean and the tables are completely turned. And I saw her vulnerability. I saw her fear that I had when I was sitting at the drop zone. Everything was just a swap. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, this is where I feel comfortable. This is my element. This has been my element for the past 
12 years. Sure. This is what I do. And <clears throat> she's like, yeah, no, uh-uh. I get, I finally paddle up to her and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? She's like, Mm-mm, no, no, that over there. No, not going. And I was like, but the waves are really good and they're small. It'll be really, nope. She's like, Mm-mm. <laughs> she's like, I'm good in the sky. Perfect here. No. Mm-mm. And I was like, okay, that was a definite. No, I was like, okay, look, I'm going to share with you how to get back in to the, to the shore but I'm going to go just catch a couple waves. Okay. If you don't mind, cause we're here and sure. it's really perfect. Sure. She's like, go do your thing. I'm going to go, I'm going into the, I'm going to go sit on the beach. And I was like, okay, cool. Told her how to get in. She went in, I caught a couple waves. I went in and I met her the next day. We went to go do jumps and I just got right on the horse. And I really believe that seeing her out of her element and in my element where I felt comfortable made it much easier the next day to fully trust that she knew what she was doing and that she knew that I could do what she had taught me. Sure. And so, yeah, it took really until the fourth jump on that second day that I was like, Hey, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the guy who got me inspired to do this? You know? And by jump number four, I was like, Oh, this is all me. This is a hundred percent for me. He was the inspiration. She was the catalyst to put it all together. And it really came down to this. This was meant for me. Sure. And I think I realized that when I realized that I could do gymnastics in the sky, because I'd always wanted to do gymnastics. I could be like an ice skater in the sky. I'd always wanted to do ice skating and be like, you know, when the ice skater, like they go to do their finale and they spin, 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 spin. They get, they, they become like the top and then they stop. Yep. I was like, I realized early on that all those elements that I really loved could be done in the sky. Sure. And that everything that I had done in my life up to that point, had basically trained me to be able to enjoy the sky just that much more. Sure. Well, and you also were in at a time when people were really starting to explore being able to do that kind of stuff. I mean, I actually just had a conversation with a a professional ballet dancer and ballet teacher who talked about some of the early stuff being an inspiration with her skydiving. And I vividly to this day remember watching (laughs) Olaf Zipser and Stefania ballroom dancing uh, in the sky on their heads and thinking that was clearly ballroom dancing. They were, he was clearly spinning her around and she would pirouette and then they join hands and go around together. And I'm like, fucking hell, it's gotten so far now that it's not them just flying around in the sky. They're clearly ballroom dancing. And I remember <laughs> that being just, I was so blown away by that. It was just such a cool thing. So I can imagine, especially if you had that kind of training to now know, oh no, I can take it this direction must've been super cool. I think the flips were the, probably the first exposure for me, like, like just being able to do a front flip and a back flip. And I was like, whoa. I didn't have to land on the ground, hurt my back to do it. You know, like it was just so free in the sky. Sure. But I also realized early on that it was going to take a lot more training in the sky to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. Sure. Like 
all the skate, the ice skating and the gymnastics things that I wanted to do. So um, let's see, started skydiving in 08. For the first year, I was a complete mess. Every time I'd show up at the drop zone, which I'd have to fly from Maui to Oahu to go do jumps, sure. rent gear. So it was always a really big issue to try to go do a couple jumps, you know, sure. for me when I first started. Um, and every time I'd show up, I'd ask every single person, well, not everybody, but a lot of people like, hey, do you think it's too windy? Do you think it's too windy for me? You right. know, and then the person would be like, yeah, it's too windy. You shouldn't go. And I'd be like, okay, I'm not going skydiving then. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first year of skydiving. Just like, you know, kind of talking, getting to the DZ was like a big deal, but sure. like not actually jumping out of the plane that day was also a big deal. Sure. <laughs> so my first, I would say my first couple of years were like that. Um, but early on, uh, JC Colclasure was still in Skydive Hawaii at the time. Like he was kind of in between Skydive Hawaii and like traveling around and being a part of PD. Mm. Um, there was also another swooper at Skydive Hawaii at the time that was up and coming, Gage Gal. Mm-hmm. And so those people had a lot of influence on everybody at Skydive Hawaii. Everybody wanted to be able to swoop as well sure. as they did, sure. you know, and including myself, but I knew it was a far, far game for me to get to that level. Uh, but in 20, I would say in like 2010, JC, myself and Benz, we went to Turtle Bay and Turtle Bay as I don't know if you have you been to Oahu? I haven't. No. Okay. On Oahu, on the North Shore, they have um, Turtle Bay Resort, and they have these hot tubs. And you're supposed to be a guest to go use the facilities. We were not a guest, but we went to hot tubs, just an FYI. And we were sitting in the hot tub, and JC plants the seed in me. And Mm. he says, Amberly, you should fly camera. I was like, my brain about it exploded. I was like, how am I going to fly camera? You know, like I, at the time, I think I only had like 150 jumps, you know, this mm. is only my second year in, in skydiving. And he's like, well, you got to get your jump numbers up and then you got to start spec. He just, he gave me all the, like, this is what you got to do. This is the roadmap to do it. Sure. And you could do it. And that was all I needed was for somebody to say, you can do it. And that was it. I was running for that. And so by 2011, I had racked up enough jumps that Skydive Hawaii allowed me to start doing what they call spec jumps. And so I started in the industry that way. I started, I tried to be a packer. They denied me. (laughs) You know, I tried to do different things in skydiving and they denied me. And really all it did was open the right door for me. Sure. So I started spec jumping after selling a few of my deals, you know, to the customers, they were like, all right, she's doing it. Okay. And then they hired me and I started flying video for Skydive Hawaii in 20, at the end of 2011. But before I went and did that, that summer, Benz had broken both of his legs. I had become his primary caregiver. I had quit my job with the Marriott so I could do that, so I could care for him. <clears throat> um, 
And in the mid, like once he got to a point where he could take care of himself, which it was like, it took like four or five months. Mm. And before I became a professional skydiver, I decided I'm going to go take a trip and go just decompress. Sure. And while I was on this trip, I, I went to Arizona. They were having nationals, which I didn't know what nationals was mm. at the time. I didn't even know that they had competitions in skydiving at that time. Sure. Again, I lived in Hawaii, so I lived on an island. So sure. we were in a different kind of skydiving environment there. And so I go to Arizona and I meet Brian Guile. And he he's like, hey, um, we're going to go do a huck jam tonight at the tunnel. Do you want to come? And I was like, what's a huck jam? He was <laughs> like, ooh. He's like, actually, just come and watch. And I was like, okay. So I go to the tunnel that night. Never heard of a tunnel. I have no idea what that is. Sure. Get to the Arizona tunnel that night. And I watch this girl, like, stretching. She's doing the splits. She's doing all kinds of stretches, you know, before they go and fly. And then I get watch all these, this group of, you know, elite skydivers get in the tunnel and they just flew around each other doing all this crazy stuff. And the girl who was stretching was doing the splits. She was doing all kinds of stuff in the tunnel. And I was like, whoa, like my world had just opened up. Like that's, I remember being like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Like if I, you know, like there was always like a, okay, what do I want to do next? And camera became up and then I did that. And then, you know, the next thing was like, oh, wow, I, I see all these people free flying in the tunnel. I want to be able to do that. How do I do that? Sure. We don't have a tunnel in, in Hawaii. How am I supposed to get really good at the tunnel if there's no tunnel in Hawaii? Sure. So I go back to Hawaii. I continue doing camera <clears throat> for a couple years. Um, in 2013, or I guess earlier than that, I talked to Melissa and I was like, you know, this camera flying thing is really cool. I'm so grateful for it. I've been living a dream, living on the North Shore of Oahu, flying camera, skydiving for a living, surfing every day. I mean, my life was pretty fucking rad. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> every day was rad. And, but I was also feeling unfulfilled, mm. like what else is there, you know? And in 2012, she was like, Hey, why don't you come to this tunnel camp that we're going to be doing in Seattle? And then let's assess after that. And I was like, okay. So I go to a tunnel camp in Seattle. I, I learn head down within three hours. Wow have no idea if that's good or bad. You know, I have no, I like, again, I'm green at the tunnel. So I don't know what it takes for people to fly head down. I don't know what it takes for anybody to do anything in the tunnel. All sure. I know is I want to be able to fly head down. And by the time I leave this camp, after putting in an hour or whatever of flying head down, I'm able to fly head down. And so I go back to Hawaii. And <clears throat> the first little test was these guys were going to go do a Hawaii state head down record, or they were going to practice for it. 
And I was like, oh, I want to do it. And I remember this guy distinctly telling me, you're not going to be able to come in and take a dock head down on us. Hmm. You just don't know how to fly well enough. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me go on the jump with you and let me see if I can do it. Hmm. They were like, okay, sure. And I was the only one who came in and took a dock on them. <laughs> the other guy who I... Uh, who wanted to be able to take a dock couldn't come in near us at all. He didn't have the, he didn't have the steady flying. Sure. And he actually, we got to the ground and he was really embarrassed and I could tell he was really embarrassed and, but it was just kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, I, I learned how to fly in my mind. I learned how to fly head down in the tunnel and that's it. That's I've, I've learned everything there is to, <laughs> to you know, to be a part of a, you know, whatever. And um, so I call up Melissa and I'm like, okay, I, you know, I've learned head down in the tunnel. Like now what, what is, what is next? And she was like, you know, you should try being on a, a head down world record for the women. And this is for 2013. Mm. I'm like, man, it's 2012 at the time. I'm like, man, head down world record. Like, shoot, girlfriend. I don't know if I could do that. And she's like, did you fly head down in the tunnel? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you could do it. Okay. That's all it took. Hmm. I just needed that one person to tell me you can do it. Sure. And then nobody was going to be able to tell me that I couldn't do it. So in 2013, I started pursuing big way camps. So traveling to Arizona, traveling wherever they had camps, I traveled to from Hawaii. Mm. And um, at the end of 2013, I was in a severe skydiving accident that almost mm. took my life. Ooh. I was on a work jump. I was coming in. I was, uh, we got out super far. They had had a search and rescue going on on the North shore. And when I jumped out of the plane, I was under canopy. I saw a helicopter at the end of the island at a really low altitude. And we basically, as I closed in to land at the drop zone, I realized the wind had died and I wasn't going to make it back to the drop zone. That I was going to have to uh, land at our alternate landing area. And I was watching this helicopter the whole time. Like we were literally closing the gap, but I was thousands of feet above him. And as I started my landing pattern to land at the polo field, which is our offsite landing, it's a designated offsite landing for Skydive Hawaii for the drop zones out at the North Shore. And as I started to make my landing pattern and I went to do my um, crosswind, I crossed over the helicopter. And I was like, man, that was like a bit closer than I ever want to be. And then as I came in on my crosswind and I went to do a 270 under my canopy, I realized the helicopter had moved in behind me. And if I did my 270, I would land in the middle of the rotor Oof. of this helicopter. So I'm like, whoa, this is not good. I'm going to abort my 270. I'm going to do a 90 and just try to get to the ground as quickly as possible. Sure. Well, as I induced my front risers and came out of a 90, I looked over and the helicopter and I were at the same altitude. And I looked up and my canopy just folded like a napkin. 
And I don't remember anything after that. But what the people on the field said that happened was I turned, my canopy collapsed, and I pendulumed until I hit the ground. Wow. And I broke my hip off of my coccyx bone. So it basically um, detached, my hip bone detached from the coccyx by the way of the ilios, um, the sacroiliac joint. Mm. <clears throat> it's very painful I bet. <laughs> uh, to have that happen. I hit my ankle, which broke my ankle and I had internal bleeding. So in pursuit of being on the women's head down world record, and I had just been contracted to do a Red Bull commercial, wingsuit Red Bull commercial. So I had all this stuff starting to line up in 2013 for myself, mm. going to be on the women's head down world record and also being contracted for Red Bull's commercial that they were going to do in Hawaii. Mm. And all of that went down the drain as soon as I got injured. Sure. And... um. Um, I lost my train of thought. Had a well, head, heading towards the uh, <laughs> heading towards the women's world's record. Obviously, now you're you're trying to recover from physical injuries. You just lost out on the Red Bull stuff. I mean, that must have been a pretty hectic time. It was yes. I felt I was devastated. Not just in the level of not being able to make that dream of being on the head down record come true, but also the Red Bull. Um, commercial that I felt like was such a random blessing to be able to just be asked to be a part of something like that. Um, but yeah, that was all, I, I definitely felt like a part of my life had come crashing down at that point. Um, Vince and I at that point had been together for almost five years since 08. And he had really gotten into speed flying. And so I was about four months into my recovery. Uh, actually, when I was in the in the hospital uh, for my hip and everything, he had proposed to me. And it was literally like the 10th time he had proposed to me when I finally <laughs> was in the hospital. And I said, yes. But we had just been going through so much at that point. I didn't, I really hadn't, I didn't think that he, that it was really something that we should do. But man, when I was hurt and he still wanted to get married, I was like, okay, this is like, this is happening, you know? And sure. four months after my, um, my accident, he ended up going in speed flying. Mm. And so that was at the beginning of 2014. And <clears throat> that was a hard time for I'll sure. Bet. Um, I felt like my world had just like crumbled everything that I knew, everything that I had been working towards, everything that I had dreamt of was gone. And so, sorry. No, it's okay. It would be an incredibly hard time to go through. It was. I was still recovering from my accident. I could barely walk. I lost my significant other. And, um, before all that had happened, I had uh, signed up for a uh, yoga teacher training. Mm. And it literally started a day after his memorial. Oh, wow. And I remember the first week in, in yoga teacher training. And I was like, 
at the end of the week, they gave us a little test to see how much we retained. And I, I remember going up to the teachers. Sorry. That's um, okay. I remember going up to the teachers and being like, I don't think I've really retained anything that you guys are teaching. And I don't know if I should be here. And they just talked me into one more week. I was like, okay, I'll do one more week. And then that turned into the whole course. It was a month long. And uh, it really saved my life, really. Mm. Well, I mean, especially to have something like that when you're in the middle of not just having to deal with the recovery physically for yourself, but then emotionally with everything else that's going on, that would be a pretty amazing lifeline to have somebody throw you. Yeah, it was, uh, it really was my lifeline. Mm. And yoga has really been my lifeline through everything in my life. Um, I started practicing yoga in 96 on mm. VHS, <laughs> uh, which shortly after became DVD. And, sure, um, sure, sure. But yeah, yoga really helped me to recover from my accident. It helped me emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. And I don't know where I'd be without it, really. <clears throat> you know, it's um, it's kind of funny because I've brought it up so many times that uh, um, I walked past the packing mm -hmm. mat when I was in Eloy watching all the folks doing yoga on the mat, <laughs> drinking a Red Bull and probably chewing on some beef jerky going, why in the fuck would I do that? <laughs> and now all these years later, all I can think is, why didn't you join them? <laughs> why? All the injuries yeah. I wouldn't have had if I had learned to touch my toes younger. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you go out and do nothing but strap heavy cameras to your head or other people to your chest right? without stretching and without eating properly for years and just beat the shit out of yourself. Yeah, yoga would have done me some good as well. <laughs> do you do yoga now? I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. although I I don't call nice. it yoga. I just something in me is just opposed to the 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 meditation and the the center yourself side of yoga. The spiritual side of yoga just I can't wrap my head around. So I just call it getting bendy. <laughs> I just mm. go I stretch. <laughs> I nice. I don't I don't do yoga. I stretch, which is exactly the same thing without the laying on my back and doing the, you know, meditation at the end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean anything to get anything to stretch your body out and oh yeah, work out the kinks. Absolutely, it's really good. And you know, the ironic thing is that you might start off where you're at right now, and then down the road it'll like evolve and change. Sure, you, I'm sure. Abs absolutely. Well, and and I and I've started doing this a, a lot more in the last probably close to ten years now, getting much better at it than I ever was as a kid. But then again, I'm also aging and paying the price for all of the injuries when I was younger now. So <laughs> it's all, it's coming full circle, not necessarily in a happy way. <laughs> yeah. But it's all good. Well, you're doing it. You're doing yeah, it now. That's, yeah. that's good. I mean, so, I mean, yeah. you started out by almost throwing up twice on two skydives yeah. to not just becoming a, a full-blown skydiver, but a working skydiver and then a tunnel flyer mm -hmm. and then someone in pursuit of records and, and even through tragedy having continued on and kept pushing. And I mean, to, especially to where you're sitting now, I mean, one of the, the best pictures that I, I've seen posted of you was um, with the Project 19 write-up 
which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful smiling picture of you with that bold yellow Project 19, which anybody in skydiving knows exactly what that means and what went into it. I mean, you must be incredibly proud of where you've gotten to. Um, I am super stoked on all the things that I have accomplished. Um, really, after in 2014, when all that stuff happened, it gave me a full year to obviously I needed to heal my body and I wasn't skydiving and I wasn't doing a lot of things that I normally would do just because I was injured. Sure. Um, and I knew that as soon as I got back into skydiving, I'd be able to make some goals for myself again. And that's really what happened. I got back into skydiving and at the end of 2014, I went to Australia. I went there for a couple months and it really helped me to heal a lot of stuff and I got back into skydiving and when I came back to Oahu at the end of 2014 I was like all right what do I want to do you know um I'm pretty much have an open like anything is possible so what do I want to do and I was like well I still had a picture of the 138 way mm. head down world record that was still hanging and it was hanging over my head in a way, you know, like sure. I wanted, I wanted to have a world record under my belt. One, that's all I wanted. Sure. <laughs> One world record. <laughs> and so instead of going for the women's head down world record, um, because I wasn't able to physically, I decided when I got better that I would pursue the co-ed head down world record for 2015. Mm. And so I moved away from Hawaii after 18 years of living on the islands Wow! to pursue being on the 2015 head down world record. I nice. moved to Texas and it just, it wasn't my jam there. Sure. And I lived there for about three months and then I left and I went to uh, skydive Chicago. And when I arrived in skydive Chicago, I felt like I was home. Mm. Like the moment I arrived, I saw some girls that I hadn't seen for a while and they were really welcoming. And I just was like, yeah, this is, this is where I need to be. And after pursuing record camp after record camp, not getting an invite, not being a tunnel instructor at this point, I only had about 17 hours of tunnel at the time. Mm. I finally secured a record invite for the 2015 head down world record. Mm. And obviously a, an invite just means you get to be on the first jump. It doesn't mean that you're going to actually be on the record jumps. Sure. Got to earn it. Yeah. So I, um, ever, I remember that event, every jump I went to do, I just, I'd lost my mom at this point, you know, long time prior I'd lost Benz and my, my grandparents were both deceased as well, who raised mm. me. And so when I was going through the record jumps, every time I was in the plane, before I jump out, I was like, this is for you, grandma, grandpa, Benz, mom. Like, if you're here with me, help me to, you know, and I would just pray and really lean on my spiritual guidance, I guess, at that point, or my sure. just just uh, feeling like I was enveloped in love by them and mm. that I was doing the right thing by being there. 
<clears throat> and by the grace of God, I was on that jump on the final jumps. I did almost get cut. Um, uh, because they had like on jump number five, there were, there were some issues with the plane and the seatbelts and people were tripping and falling and, and, um, literally on the very next jump on the sixth jump of the record attempts, uh, for whatever reason I tripped and I fell in the Sherpa. Oh no. Running out. And I was close enough that when I fell and I hit the deck, Oh no. I reached out and grabbed the edge of the door and just hucked myself out in a worm. <laughs> <laughs> because people were literally running by me like, oh my God, she fell. And I was like, I'm not gonna, I am not gonna get cut. <laughs> I fell in the Sherpa. So um, but on the morning that we did the actual record, it was such a magic experience um being a part of the head down co-ed world record was extremely special to me sure it had to have been it was such a culmination of the shittiest year i'd ever had but also this thing that i'd wanted to do for years now and i had made it happen and, um, yeah, that record is still really special to me and it still stands. I mean, how cool <laughs> is that? Right. <laughs> and I really didn't know how special it was until years later, literally years later that I realized that I was one of 13 women on that jump. That's spectacular. Hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I wanted to be on one world record. I, I feel like I went out and went on the best world record that I could be on. The fact that we haven't been able to break it with two of our events, well, Rook puts on the events, but we haven't been able to break it as a team. Uh, it just shows how special that time really was. Sure. And since then, I've been on five more additional world records with women. So I have a total of six world records now never intended to go and be a multi-world record holder my goal is one world record sure um but after i had that first world record i became a tunnel instructor uh, at the naperville tunnel and i just continued to learn to fly and things kind of developed as the more i put into it um, I got to, I, I went and competed with Sarah Curtis in two-way dynamic mm. uh, at nationals in, I think that was 2018. And unfortunately our team didn't do very well, but my pre-flying routine secured me a spot to represent the USA in open freestyle at the 2018 world competition in Bahrain, which was really cool to be mm. a part of that. And yeah, um, I also helped to do the first women's head down state record in California. And that nice. was back in, I think, 2017. Um, recently, I helped to do the first head up 
women's state record in Chicago. And, you know, now today where I'm at is I just love skydiving. I love my little canopy that I fly. It's a 69 Leia. I love speed flying. That's become a huge part of my life as well, which I never thought it would be just because I lost dents that way. Sure. I am learning again to get back in because I would like to learn. I'm scared as all to learn to fly a plane. But I think because I'm so scared, I think that's something that is driving me to restart learning that again. I started learning that back in 2018, but I kind of put it aside because I was like, oh, I don't think this is for me and I'm so scared and I don't know if it's what I want to do. And sure. lately I've been like, yeah, I think I do want to learn how to fly a plane. I think it would be really neat. Am I going to go anywhere with it? I don't know. I'm learning three different languages right now, which is really fun. I'm learning <laughs> Spanish, right. French, and Russian. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm in a place in my life where I feel like I've done a lot of amazing stuff and I want to be able to give back to my community when I can. I am LOing a lot of events. I've LOed Summerfest at Skydive Chicago four years in a row. I'm going to LO the Sebastian Invasion Boogie for New Year's. Wow. Very cool. I've been doing, I've been doing some CIS events with Aeronautrics. And I just hope to continue sharing my love and passion for flying and the sport. And, you know, when I talk to a newer jumper who is in the position that I used to be in back in 2011, when I first saw free flyers get in the tunnel, Mm -hmm. I try to be as encouraging as possible because we all started at zero, no matter where we're at. Sure. And the more that I can support the people around me, the better it makes me feel, the better of a friend I feel, the better of a mentor. And, you know, I still in my mind, I'm still this little girl from a small town doing things that are somewhat normal to me. Sure. But I know when I talk to people who don't skydive and or who are skydiving and are aspiring to do different things in skydiving, I realized that I have done a lot and I do have a lot to give. And so I just plan to continue um, cultivating a, a level of, you know, giving back. I think that's where I'm at now is to be able to give back. And it's a good place to be. Yeah, I've pursued the world records. I, you know, like there's, I feel like what if I have seven world records or 10 world records or 15 world records? I mean, I feel like one world record for me was what I really wanted. And I've far exceeded that. I did get to be a a regional captain for uh, Sarah and Amy's Project 19. And, you know, you always look back and you're like, man, I could have done more. I could have done this. I could have done that. But, you know, it is what it is. And I got to be a star player in that. And when it finished, I wanted to help with the head up stuff. But it just things kind of just went in a different direction. So I'm, I'm happy to continue giving back. 
I think we're kind of uh, um, skydivers tend to be built to kind of roll with the punches, so to speak. At least most of the jumpers that I know are are pretty good at dealing with change because it happens so much in our sport. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, y- you get real good at going. Well, I don't know what's next. You know, and and you learn to deal with a level of uncertainty that would freak normal people out. And I hate to use that word normal, but that's how I feel. I don't think normal people could handle the variety of shit that we as skydivers deal with, which (laughs) is a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So now somebody's listening and they want, they know you're in the tunnel and you're teaching there, or they want to come out and make a jump with you, or they just want to know more about you. How do people track you down social media wise? How can they come out and jump with you? How can they train with you? Um, You can find me on uh, Instagram at Amberly Airborne, A-M-B-E-R-L-Y-A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E. You can find me on Facebook, Amberly Brown. Cool. Um, yeah, but I would just, you know, um, I do want to put on camps. I've just been trying to figure out, you know, who is my market and who I'm, you know, who wants to learn really. Sure. Um, and I think when you're a, a, a freestylist, it's a little bit harder to put groups together to try to teach them freestyle. So that's where I've been trying to kind of like, you know, figure out, you know, how do I do that? But in the meantime, I'll just, you know, when I do go on my jumps, uh, one thing that I really love about being able to do freestyle and something that I've discovered for myself is, and probably a signature move for me is being able to do the splits helicopter in the sky. And, (laughs) It really, um, it really makes me feel like an ice skater when I get to do that, you know, like ice skaters that are spinning, spinning, and then they stop. Like, I just love being able to do stuff like that in the sky. And unfortunately, solo freestylists, um, they live kind of a solo life too, because who am I going to go jump with? Like, you know, Hey, you want to go do some splits helicopters with me? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for it's sure. kind of like, for so, sure. I think I'm just trying to figure out how do I give back to what I've gotten. So, you know, what has become such a passion of mine. So I'm, I'm working on that. That's like a work in progress at the moment, actually. And, uh, you know, hopefully down the road, you'll see an event of mine. You'll be like, Hey, she's doing it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I absolutely look forward to seeing what comes next. I mean, you've already had a hell of an adventure, but it doesn't sound like you're slowing down anytime soon. Not yet. Uh, Amberly, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for taking time to sit down and chat with me and tell your story. I really, really thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's actually been really, you know, it's always cathartic. To yes, absolutely. Shed a couple of tears and remember like, oh yeah, okay. I went through that and yeah, I, I survived. Sure. For sure. Well, and it's, 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 that's the, the, one of the big things behind the podcast is uh, sharing stuff that other people are going to go, Oh, I'm not the only one. That's the big thing, right? Is I hear so many times people hear, Oh my God, I heard this person that I look up to was scared of something. Holy shit. And you know, it's this eye-opening thing for people to realize that potentially the people they're looking up to are human, (laughs) you know, it's nice to know. It's nice to know. Well, very cool. You know, as, uh, yeah. Thank very you so cool. much. Yes. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our time. Take care. Yay.
Yes, you too. <laughs> well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.